Hello, Kansas Reflector listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I'm reporter Rachel Mebro here today with Davis Hammett, president of the voter advocacy group Loudlight, along with Micah Kubik, executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Kansas. Today's topic is elections and election bills being currently discussed in the legislature. Our first question here will be, what are you seeing in terms of voting right issues? I think there's a slew of voting rights laws uh, that are up for consideration in the state house right now. Uh, it's really a shame that the legislature is spending its time uh, on bills that would make it harder for folks to register, harder to vote, harder to make their vote count. Uh, I would much rather that the legislature spend its time uh, expanding access to the ballot, making it easier for folks to participate in our democracy. But instead, uh, we really have Uh, I don't know, half a dozen or so bills that are all uh, moving at various paces through the legislature right now. A bunch of them have hearings uh, in the next few days here. And the thing that's consistent about all of those is that they're all attacks on democracy, all attacks on voting rights, Uh, precisely the sort of attacks that have already been rejected by Kansans, rejected by courts, and rejected by common sense. Yeah, and I would add to that, you know, before... 2020 and the big lie and sort of the rise of election uh, misinformation in the modern era, we would maybe have a couple election bills that we would have to deal with every year. Um, And many of the times those bills would get multi-day hearings to hear out all the perspectives on it. You know, now it's not uncommon to have maybe five, six election bills a week. And it's also important to note that these are not about one aspect of voting. These are impacting every aspect of the election process from, you know, next week they're going to be hearing a bill about preventing local governments from being able to use uh, federal election dollars to, you know, improve their equipment. We've already banned any organization from being able to give like a grant to assist with that in the past to things like, you know, creating new boards to vet election claims to restricting Um, county clerks from being able to send um, mail ballot applications to voters. It's just all over the place. And there's a lot of the same that we've seen for the last three years. But so many times these bills really get into sort of the margins, very bureaucratic, small things that it might be hard to understand them as voter suppression. But when you look at sort of the totality of circumstances, they're often targeted at, you know, young folks, disabled folks, elderly folks, rural folks, and create barriers to them being able to cast the ballots. Um, and it really is overwhelming because these bills don't really get vetted. You know, we give testimony on almost every election bill, but when you have, you know, maybe a day's notice and you're asked to write on all these broad topics, um, it's not a real vetting process. So even though we oppose these, there's clearly things that are in these bills too that we haven't, you know, no one's really had time to think through the consequences of them. And by my count, we've had at least seven election bills come up so far, and it's what you said, advanced voting, ballot collection, ballot verification, and all these things, if implemented, would add some significant barriers to Kansas voters. Talk about the impact, because to the Kansas person listening, why is this important? Why do these bills matter right now? Why should we be worried? Um, I would say, I mean, there's this broader concept that I think is at at debate here that people should, uh, you know, kind of get out of the nitty gritty of all this and say, do we believe that we have a government where, you know, everyone who's eligible gets to cast a ballot and decide their representatives? Or do we believe that legislators 
should be able to put rules in place to exclude voters they want to exclude. And that's really what's at stake, to be honest, is, well, this can seem like small details. It's if we have a real, you know, democratic republic or not. Um, And we've seen that, you know, in past bills, you know, we've already had some of the 2021 legislation struck down as unconstitutional. A lot of it's in litigation. Um, But it's, it's really, you know, you think of an elderly voter who maybe relies on mail voting. And now every election, the rules are changing around them and they're not informed of it. And so you have people who just fall through these cracks through no fault of their own. And that's, you know, what we're so concerned about is all of this is happening so rapidly. Voters are unaware of some of these changes. And so they miss new deadlines, changing processes, and they end up not being able to cast a ballot or not having their vote counted. Yeah, I would absolutely agree that this is really uh, a case where you can get lost in the details and lose sight of the big picture, which is that every last one of these bills is about creating barriers, is about making it harder. And we have to ask ourselves, why do people want to make it harder rather than easier for folks to participate? Uh, I believe, and I know Davis believes, uh, that democracy is strongest when the most people participate rather than the least. Uh, And we know that each of these barriers, although they may be small, uh, are significant and they add up, right? It's not that they're doing one thing. It's that we're talking about seven different bills, right? Each one of those uh, reaches a slightly different piece of the pie uh, and they all build on each other uh, in a way that eventually has a really big impact. And we know that these barriers uh, do, in fact, discourage participation, do, in fact, stop voices from being heard, do, in fact, take chairs away from the table. Uh, And we know that because we've just lived through a live natural experiment as a nation where all over the country people uh, took down some of the barriers during the pandemic. Uh, And as a result, we had the highest voter turnout uh, in decades. Uh, And then as soon as the pandemic was uh, supposedly over, uh, the barriers went back up. And what happened? Voter turnout started going down again. So anyone who tells you that voter turnout is simply about apathy, that people don't care, it's a load of hooey. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, The reality is that people want to participate, and if you create opportunities for them to do so, they will. And the converse of that is true too, right? If you create barriers, make it harder for people to have the opportunity to participate, they won't. Uh, And so that's what all of these bills are about, whether we are going to create opportunities for people to participate or whether we're going to lock them out of the process. Uh, We've tried that before in Kansas, too, to be clear, right? Uh, You know, uh, it's certainly true that we've seen more of these bills since 2021. But, uh, you know, Kansas has been on the forefront of the voting rights laws for a while because of a fellow named Chris Kobach who brought us the most restrictive voting rights laws in the country, Uh, And Kansans overwhelmingly rejected that. Uh, Chris Kobach isn't in the Secretary of State's office anymore. Now he's the Attorney General. But his spirit uh, continues in the state legislature. And we have all of these zombie Kobachisms going on uh, from the state legislature in terms of voting laws. Kansans said they didn't want that then. They rejected that. Uh, And so it is really uh, an insult to Kansans in addition to the voter participation issues. It is an insult to Kansans to rehash this year after year after year when they have said plainly that that's not what they're interested in, that they want democracy to be strong and vibrant instead. 
So these are a bunch of really interesting points. And my takeaway here is that these are all on purpose. Like, you see this as a concerted effort to take away voting rights across the state. Yeah, so I think that it's important to note, too, that a lot of the bills we see in our state legislature uh, today and over the last couple of years, um, you know, they're not even from inside Kansas. They're from these national groups that go around and shop around voter suppression laws. And so also sometimes they're silly. Sometimes there's a bill that it that there's a hearing on and it goes, this doesn't even make sense in our context of how our elections work. You know, because every state runs their elections differently. Um, And so it really is a broader concerted effort. And it's, I think, speaks to this bigger issue of, you know, will our politics and our politicians and our political parties adapt to the changing attitudes and wants of the people? Or will they just suppress people who want things that those politicians don't want? You know, and you see that through gerrymandering it. You see it through voter suppression. You see it through a variety of other things. Um, You know, often the bills, too, because our legislature is not transparent. It's a a very dark government. Um, And the entire legislative process is, is frankly, bonkers. Um, because things get added into bills on the final day of session and fly through and the public never has a chance to comment. Um, So we don't, you know, often we have to use context to figure out, for example, did this bill come from Opportunity Solutions Project, which is actually an anti-welfare organization. They've attacked things like Medicaid expansion and following the 2020 uh, big lie and all the election conspiracies, they sort of rebranded themselves as as a protecting democracy, as voter integrity, but almost all of the laws, or really all of the voter election laws they pass, are really targeted at making it more difficult for low-income Kansans to participate in the process. And so we see this special interest, again, trying to block specific groups of Kansans um, from voting, instead of, it, which denies us and really denies our country of our politics growing to reflect the once once of voters. And I think, you know, you see that where a lot of voters don't agree with Republicans or Democrats, don't feel like they have a political party. Well, because the political parties can silo themselves in specific ways when all the people can't vote. But if all the people who are eligible have access to vote, political parties have to grow and respond to the actual desires of people, which, you know, is the plea for the redress of grievances, which is in our Constitution. Yeah, and let's talk more about the voter side of this thing. So we know now about the legislature attitude, all the stuff that's happening there. What has the response been? Both of you guys work with voter advocacy. What does the average Kansan want out of this voting process? And do they trust the system? I mean, I think the average voter does trust the system. That's why they keep showing up, right? If they if they believe that the system was as fraught with error and fraud as uh, the conspiracy theorists would have us believe, then voter turnout would be zero because no one would participate. Uh, it is self-evident that voters trust in the system because they keep showing up and participating and engaging in the system. And for that matter, the folks who are raising the conspiracy theories, they show up too. So they must have some trust uh, in the system as well. Uh, I think the average Kansan wants democracy to be strong, wants people to be able to participate, sees it as a civic good. And I think that's a, a realization that we came to as a country. It took us 200 years to figure out that we thought that voting was good, people should do it, and we should participate and encourage folks to participate. Uh, but once we did that, uh, we really expanded the franchise such that three quarters of the people who live in the country are eligible to vote. 
And so this view that we should make it harder, that it should be difficult, that it would that there's some sort of virtue in making it as hard as possible for people to express themselves. I think that's really a rump view, uh, a rump view in the country, a rump view uh, in the state. And I think when folks see that their vote is diminished and denied, they don't like it. They get upset, right? I mean, you know, last um, August of 2022, we had this uh, constitutional amendment on the ballot around abortion where some folks wanted to totally ban abortion in the state. Uh, and voter turnout surged. It was the highest in any primary. It was higher than in many general elections in Kansas. And what happened? Uh, right away, elected officials, legislators, when they came back, decided they wanted to make it harder for folks to vote again. That's directly connected to the fact that they just didn't like what the voters said. Uh, and when voters find out about that, it ticks them off. Uh, because they want to participate, they want to have their voices heard. And so the legislature is going to do what it's going to do. They're going to hold hearings. They're going to uh, engage in all the hijinks that they do in order to pass laws. Uh, but I think everyday Kansans aren't having it. I think everyday Kansans uh, will rush over themselves uh, to find ways to defend our democracy. Uh, and there's no amount of trying to limit the process. There's no amount of trying to hide what's going on. There's no amount of conspiracy theory and fear mongering that's going to stop everyday Kansans uh, from turning up when they have the opportunity to say, we believe in democracy, not in this garbage. Yeah. And I, you know, I would just add to that, too, that when voters do have some doubts about the process or they're unsure about an aspect if they are given accurate information, Kansas does have very secure uh, elections and very robust tracking systems. For example, you know, um, advanced mail voting, which we hear all these conspiracies around, every detail of that is tracked. We have not a single instance actually showing, you know, that a voter got a ballot that they shouldn't have, or they were able to cast a ballot that they shouldn't have. You know, the Secretary of State just yesterday said that, you know, they've tracked this since 1996 and they don't have a single case of that. We have really robust election integrity in internal bureaucratic processes, right, at the county clerk and secretary of state. And in my experience, you know, I've talked to folks who have sort of indulged in these conspiracies, and then I explain the process and like where their misunderstanding comes from. And they'd be like, oh, like now I get it. That makes sense. But what's unfortunate is that often whenever people ask those questions, instead of being given accurate information that explains to them why that assumption is incorrect, why we have systems in place, they're sort of fanned on the flames of saying like, yeah, that's right. You know, we see this. And I think a good example is, you know, the idea that like dead people vote, right? They don't. We have incredibly robust systems for keeping voter rolls clean. There's no cases of that. In fact, Chris Kobach years ago made a claim that someone was voting and they were dead. And then that person was like, what the heck? Like, here I am. I'm not dead. Right. And we've seen this, too, in a variety of other things that I think, uh, you know, if Michael wants to discuss this, the ACLU of Kansas with documentary proof of citizenship, which Kobach had claimed that like undocumented immigrants were were voting in mass. Right. And then he does this giant thing and it goes through a court trial and he could not find. And to this day, there has not been a single case known in Kansas, even after all this investigation, all this money, lawsuits of a single undocumented person in Kansas voting. Yet we see in some surveys like Kansas Speaks that not all of Kansans, but particularly Kansans who affiliate with the Republican Party, are actually 
increasingly believing that there is not just some, but some massive amount of undocumented immigrants in Kansas voting. I think the last poll last year said that like 30% of voters who affiliate as Republican believe that. But there's no evidence of that. And it's been, you know, debunked from the courts to, you know, to the Secretary of State's investigation. And instead of just, you know, leaders in that party just kind of being like, hey, here's the facts, y'all. Like this, there's no, there's nothing to verify this. You know, we have all these processes in place. Instead, they indulge these theories, which then give credence to voter suppression laws that don't actually make sense if you know this stuff is not happening. And that is a sort of bigger frustration with these bills is, you know, almost all of my testimony, I go, okay, what's the specific problem? And are we crafting an actual solution? And so often there is no actual problem they can identify because if they identify the problem, we can show how it is already ex- addressed in existing security laws in Kansas. Right. I, mean, I think Davis is exactly right. I mean, there has been this snipe hunt for years now uh, to try and find fraud. And certainly, I I think we can fairly say that no one has been more motivated to find fraud than Chris Kobach. Uh, And if Chris Kobach, with all of the resources of the state government uh, and a uh, zeal for the issue, could not discover uh, fraud, then that's probably pretty good evidence that there's not any there. Uh, To Davis's point, even when he went through this long process. They gave him prosecutorial power as the only secretary of state in the country to have it. Uh, he still couldn't find a single undocumented person who voted. What he found were a handful uh, of elderly people who were confused about the voting rights law and sometimes voted uh, where they had a house in another state and here. And that was about it. And it was a handful. Uh, it was certainly not this sort of vast conspiracy. Uh, and today, you know, I, I think that the same holds true. There are all these ideas about what elections are and how they work that are not really grounded in reality. One of the big bills that we're all dealing with right now is this one uh, that would get rid of the three-day grace period for ballots to be returned. Uh, That is a necessary thing because sometimes the post office is slow. It's just, I I love the post office. I will bow to no one in my admiration for the post office, but sometimes the mail comes a little slow. Uh, And so when people have done the right thing, have done everything we've asked them to, they requested the advance ballot, they took the time to sit down at the kitchen table, figure out who they were going to vote for, filled in the little bubbles, put it in the mail on time, Uh, we shouldn't hold it against them that the post office is slow in delivering it back to the election office. And yet folks want to get rid of that grace period and say the ballots have to be received earlier than that. Well, that's silly on its own terms, but also the reason that they give for it, to Davis's point, is that, well, uh, when the ballots come in later, the election results may, may change and then people will be upset. Well, guess what? Election results change all the time over the days after because it takes a while to count votes, uh, especially in large jurisdictions that have high turnout. You're not going to have all of the votes counted by 10 p.m. when people go to bed on Tuesday night. Uh, it's going to take a while. And so rather than uh, giving in to this thought that, oh, if the results change by four votes on Wednesday, something is amiss, tell people the truth, that it takes a little while to count votes, and they have a period to do that. That's what it means to have a sophisticated, professionalized, modernized election system. We actually count the votes. Imagine that. Uh, And if we acknowledge that, if we acknowledge that reality, uh, we would not be dealing uh, with bills uh, that attack a fiction. 
But that brings us to the the whole issue here, right? Like on one side, you have the public data, you have um, the secretary of the state himself saying this is safe, this is a secure election. And on the other hand, you have all this misinformation coming from the legislature in terms of these bills. But how do you fight this sort of misinformation? I mean, that must be the heart of both of your advocacy advocacy groups. With this sort of election fraud misinformation coming at you, how do you fight it effectively? I think I would say, you know, a lot of my testimony too, uh, even though it's often I have to put it together under really constrained timelines, right? (laughs) And so I'm sort of just looking for the most glaring inaccuracies or or sort of flaws in logic related to it. But we lay out things, for example, the the mail ballot kind of conspiracy that they have about this and explain the tracking system, right? And these timelines and how these things work. Um, And it really quickly debunks like there, you know, we have a common thing where uh, right now a different bill related to uh, advanced mail ballots is in the Senate. They're trying to make it so that county clerks can't send out advanced mail ballot applications. Right. And county clerks do this for a variety of reasons and have relied on this. Some of them for, you know, over a decade because it reduces, you know, it gives voters another option. And then they have less voters showing up on the poll days. So they have to have, you know, they don't need as many staff and other things. Um, And so explaining those contexts and explaining the tracking where, you know, we hear over and over again, and I've had to just be frank at some committee hearings and say, please, as legislators, stop saying the wrong thing. People are not getting mail ballots that are unrequested. They are getting an application to begin requesting a mail ballot to come. But yet, no matter what happens, they continue, you know. And we've seen this in the, the chairman of the Senate Federal and State uh, Committee where continuously saying, oh, all these people are getting mail ballots they didn't request. And it's like, that is simply not what's happening. In our language in this environment of misinformation, the language we use, you know, on the pep public record in the state house is so important. And, you know, when legislators don't commit themselves to being as accurate as they can be, it's, it's a difficult environment. To work in because, you know, again, if you can point out some real flaws in our system, we can work together on real solutions that do not disenfranchise voters. But when you say election integrity, you can either look to build bureaucratic systems within, you know, within the county clerk, within the election officials' offices that prevent that issue, or you can just put up these giant barriers on voters to say it's voters' problems to do this. Whenever we know that will prevent, you know, many of their votes from being cast or counted. And so it's just a, you know, and even when they say on the three-day grace period, as Micah was just talking about, they'll say, well, it's personal responsibility. But then you ask them, and none of the legislators know the mail ballot timelines, and that varies. So you can't hold people to be personally responsible for things they cannot know. We do not always know how long it will take for, you know, for the Postal Service to deliver something. We don't even know how long it will take from when you request that ballot to when the county can finish getting it prepared to send it out to you. These are all things that are outside the voters' control, which is so frustrating about this, is these laws punish voters on these arguments that make no sense. Yeah, I mean, I think first I would just note that I think Secretary of State Scott Schwab really should be commended uh, for standing up to these conspiracy theories and telling the truth. I, I don't agree with Secretary Schwab on many, many, many issues under the sun, uh, but I think that he has done a commendable job 
in rejecting the conspiracy theories and telling the truth about the system and telling the truth about the integrity of the system and in resisting many of the attacks on voting rights. And he really deserves uh, commendation for that. Uh, in terms of how we push back against all this, I, I think it's really a lot of what Davis said, right? Part of this is just that uh, we have to tell the truth even when others do not. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the uh, Czech dissident who became president, Václav Havel, and he used to say that the way that you uh, defend democracy, the way that you reject authoritarianism is to live in truth, not just to speak truth, but to live in truth. Uh, and I think that's what all of us have to do. Uh, is to live in the truth, regardless of what they're saying, regardless of what arguments they put forth, never uh, to take one step outside of the truth of what the system is, which is that the ways it is broken are not the ways that they are talking about. The ways in which it is broken are ways in which it disincentivizes participation, the ways in which it makes it harder for people. Not that there is fraud, not that there is uh, a need for additional personal responsibility, um, all of that is not is not what's going on. So we need to speak the truth that the system does need to be improved, uh, but it needs to be improved through things like automatic voter registration and election day registration uh, and more early voting and more language access, not by making it harder for folks uh, to participate in an already hard system. And then I think the second thing that we just have to do is really lean into our values on this, because I think the values that we have of democracy, of equality, of freedom, of people feeling part of something bigger than themselves are in fact the values that Kansans and Americans share. Uh, we believe in democracy. That There are some folks running around the country today who think we should all dabble in a little light authoritarianism. I'm not one of those people, and I don't think most Kansans uh, are those people. And I think they've said that at every opportunity. When the Kobach voter suppression agenda was put before them, they said, no, thank you. And now that the Kobach voter suppression agenda is being presented to them again, they're still saying, no, thank you. Uh, and I think if we keep on leaning into democracy, ain't no mountain high enough to keep Kansans away from defending democracy. And this one's going to be a little off topic, but I've heard from a lot of advocacy groups that at this time of year, it's really emotionally draining. How's the mental state right now for you guys? How are you feeling? Are you frustrated? Um, I think definitely frustrated. And I think that it is mentally draining, right? So I've uh, been working on issues like this uh, in Kansas for, you know, about a decade. And it is incredible and sad to every year sort of watch advocates in the state house come in, be very passionate and just sort of mentally break through the process, right? I think even we just had a representative out of Johnson County who resigned from the legislature and essentially cited as much that this is just so, such a harmful place because of the broken process, right? There are no standards. Anything could happen at any point. You know, the legislative rules are a total joke. If leadership wants something, it happens. And if they don't want something, it will not happen. And also the issues, you know, we're, we're talking about voter suppression, but so many of these issues are so personal, right? When you talk about, uh, you know, we're a youth-focused organization, uh, Loud Light, and you talk about, you know, trans issues, and we, and we work with young trans people, and the state is talking about not even recognizing them as humans that exist, right? Those are really emotionally difficult things and brutal things. That is the power of the state's police force coming against, you know, children. And so, you know, or, you know, even just having all of that and being in there in a, in a quite toxic environment, again, and toxic, not just because of the content of the bills, 
but because of the nature of the process. Hearings get scheduled with less than 24-hour notice. An hour before the hearing, they switch out the bill number and switch the word in the bill, and then they say people can't testify. You know, people who have driven all day to be there to give testimony. That stuff wears on people, and it really is nonstop. And it's not just a disservice to the public or a disservice to, like, advocates in the state house. It's a disservice to legislators because we have seen good legislators just go, I can't handle this anymore, right? Like this process is so toxic and so broken, like I cannot be here anymore. Um, and that's not how governing should be done. You know, we even have this rule in Kansas called the midnight rule, where legislators are not supposed to meet past midnight. And it was adopted because a legislator after like, a, you know, where they went till 6 a.m., a legislator got in a car wreck and died on his way home. And so they were like, this is clearly bad. Yet every year we see them suspended. It is a toxic and hostile work environment for everyone involved. And it doesn't have to be that way, right? There are normal, healthy, accessible ways to govern. And these toxic ways make bad laws happen because when it's 5 a.m., legislators, I've talked to them and asked, hey, why did you vote on that bill? And they don't even realize that they had voted on the bill because it was 5 a.m. and they had been up since 4 a.m. the day before. And that is not any way to govern and a disservice to everyone. Uh, I think there's no question that this legislature is committed to creating an environment of fear and harassment and intimidation, whether it be for trans youth, uh, for pregnant people seeking reproductive health care, for immigrants, for people who care about democracy. It doesn't matter who you are, they're trying to create an environment of fear. Uh, that said, I, I refuse uh, to succumb to that. And so I am energized. I am mobilized. I am excited. I'm hopeful. And I'm all of those things because I know uh, that our values will win and have won before. You know, last year they pulled all the same stuff. And the reality is that every single voting rights attack that they tried to pass went down in a blaze of glory. So I know that our movement can succeed. It's harder than it should be. It's harder than it could be. But we can succeed and we will. And so I am hopeful. Uh, hope, though, uh, should inspire you to action because hope without action is just complacency. Uh, and so it's not enough just to be uh, hopeful and naively assume that everything's going to work out. It requires real hard work to do it. Uh, but I am hopeful. I am energized. And I know that thousands of Kansans are ready to do that work uh, to say that they reject this environment of fear that the legislature is trying to create. And we will prevail together when we do that, as we have so many times before. I know we can do it. We will do it again. And so I refuse to give in to despondency and instead just say, uh, let's go there and, and show our voice, show our power, and we'll come out on top. Wow. You know, that's a really good speech. So let's end it right there on a note <laughs> of optimism. Thank you both so much. Thank yeah. you.